Hey, everyone. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich, co-host of the Endless Podcast with writer and erstwhile DC Comics editor Elisa Quitney. And we are so excited to present to you this bonus episode of Endless, a discussion between Elisa and DC Comics editor Shelley Bond, who also worked on the Sandman comics. Shelley is CEO of Off Register Press, which she runs with her husband, artist Philip Bond. Shelley spent two decades editing at Vertigo and was executive editor there from 2013 to 2016. She and Elisa have a lot of reminiscing to do, so let's get to it. Okay, so I am incredibly excited to be talking with you, Shelley. I when I first met you, uh, it was your first day interviewing with uh, Vertigo with Car- to be Karen Berger's assistant, uh, which had been my position previously. And then through the years, we've worked together as editors. We've co-edited uh, things. We have. Uh, then you edited me when I was not on staff. You edited you edited me as a writer, and you you actually ended up running Vertigo. So I I'm just I cannot think of a better person to be here in guesting on on this podcast clearly you're looking for something do (laughs) do i owe you like a special limited edition of death the high cost of living or something or is it that you actually want to borrow a wig that i have left in one of my drawers i you didn't even definitely you didn't mention how the thing that you like most about me is that I saved your life when you when you had a disaster happen at some point during the day, just another day in the office at DC Comics. I think it <laughs> might have been 1996, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. But thank you for inviting me to the podcast. Elisa, you will always be my Sandman sister. And you were, yes, you, we- you were a hard act to follow. Let me just state that. It is cold fact. I think we had, you know, Neil used to call, as you pointed out, you, me and Karen, the three witches uh, in in I I think I was mother and you were maiden. Uh, but Karen I, was not a crone. I, I, she was I, and especially the now that I'm. Yes, I, I, you are I, definitely the youngest. But I, I want to ask, I want to take you back to your first day interviewing. What I remember about you is that you were dressed in some kind of very nifty suit and everybody else was a slovenly mess. <laughs> um, and and I had just a really good feeling about you. Do you remember your first impressions of the Vertigo office? Oh, I was scared shitless. And <laughs> it was a dream job. You know, to coin a phrase, to make a pun, since we are talking on an endless podcast. But I had worked in comics before, and I had hoped that would give me a little bit of an in, but I didn't know because at that stage of my career, you know, I was 25. I really wanted to live in New York City, but I was living in Philadelphia. And I knew that if I came in for the job, if I got hired, I would have to move and change my life in two weeks. So the stakes were high and I really did want in. I wanted to be a part of what was then rumored to be the next great comic book revolution in Vertigo. So yeah, uh, I might've looked cool in my faux retro seventies mod suit, but I was shaking underneath that giant uh, collar 
and those little pins I used to wear. Well, you you actually made such a good impression, both in terms of you know professionalism and skills and fun. Um, so I wanted to just take a moment for people. A lot of the people listening may know more about the TV series now than the than the comics and Vertigo. So obviously you worked on Sandman. Can you talk about which which issues? Do you remember when you started? Which storyline? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So. I started with issue 46 and unlike you, Elisa Quitney, I was not a Sandman reader. <laughs> and I knew that was going to be a problem, but I had only so much time to cram for my interview. So, you know, I breezed through what I could borrow from friends and my greatest amateur error in comics has to be the time I was chatting with Neil on the phone. And by the way, I met Neil and Dave on my first day at work. And no joke, you know, if I was nervous for the interview, uh, I can only tell you I was frozen in time when I saw Neil and Dave walking down the hallway because I knew who they were and they had no idea who I was. But and for those and for those of our listeners who are newer to the comics, she is talking about Dave McKean who is an incredible artist who did the covers uh, for Sandman, which were really groundbreaking, a groundbreaking look for comics and also did other uh, amazing comics collaborations with Neil and went on to oh, yeah. amazing other projects. And Dave in particular, um, I thought, you know, Dave also, I knew from just reading about him, he was really into music and he was very influenced by album art, which I was as well. So I knew he was a fan of the music from the 4AD uh, label. And so, yeah, quite nerve wracking. But I started with issue um, Salmon 46. And the good news about that was Jill Thompson was finishing up Brief Lives. She was my first girlfriend in comics because I worked at Kamiko for a few years. She was the best friend of Kamiko's art director, Rick Taylor. So Jill and I knew each other well. So it was really like a relief to know that I was going to be like talking to her a lot. And that sort of helped usher me in because I was quite shy. Now the amateur error, which I know you're going to chuckle. You might even chortle Elisa, but the amateur error was I was on the phone with Neil, which, which was terrific. Neil to this day is one of the kindest creators and the most generous people to work with because he is 100% respectful of everyone on the team. So I was the lowly assistant editor, but he didn't treat me like a dog. He treated me, right? He gives good phone. He he (laughs) gives good phone, but also he really made me feel welcome. And Mm. this is the, the case in point. We were chatting and I had a question for him about a trade. And I asked him the question. I said, Neil, can I talk to you for a few minutes about Dream County? And dramatic <laughs> pause. And I thought, this is where he has just reached into my soul and squeezed it. And now it's bleeding. And instead of just hanging up the phone and saying, Karen, this assistant editor should be fired. She's an amateur. Neil said, and I quote, yes, but think bigger. It's Dream Country. I knew at that point in time, like everything was going to be fine because 
like Neil. I'm a very straight up person. So, you know, I wasn't going to put it on the table. Neil, I really wasn't a Sam fan. I'm kind of more into Doom Patrol. I just thought that was the moment where I could say, Neil, you know what? I'm getting more, you know, I'm refamiliarizing this myself with Sandman and the fantasy genre because that wasn't my thing but Elisa that was your thing well yeah no it it definitely resonated but actually I think that's a good moment for me to say obviously you worked on and came to really love the Sandman Brief Lives and Jill Thompson um, were an amazing storyline can you just give a little heads up to some of the other series and creators you've worked with over sure. the years? Because as I say, a lot of just imagine right now that a lot of the people listening may have read Sandman, but not much else, uh, certainly not much else from the 90s. So, you know, you'll be you'll be plugging some of the good old stuff. Hey, those were the halcyon days, no doubt. Well, First of all, the, the storylines that I was assistant and then associate editor on that followed the kindly ones were The Wake with Michael Zuli, which was an incredible storyline, and The Kindly Ones with Mark Hempel and Richard Case. And then I was fortunate enough to work on The Salmon Endless Nights because Karen let me share the baton and we were co-editors of that collection. And then in the last few years of Vertigo, I, I worked with J.H. Williams on the Sandman Overture, Overture, and those were incredible projects. What I love so much about the Sandman is that all the rumors are true. Neil Gaiman was one of the first people who put it upon himself to not just write and not just write what was in his head, but he would write and art direct specifically for his artists because despite the fact that he's this huge celebrity. And by the way, he was already famous when I walked in the door at DC Comics. But despite the celebrity and fame that has just kept growing, he honestly always kept the collaborative part of comics at the front of his head. And he made everyone on the team felt like their contributions were just as integral. Now that is a trait you don't find often in comics or in life. And so it's important for me to recognize that because we know Neil as, you know, a friend and and a, a colleague. But I think until you hear somebody legit say that, you're never quite sure. Because look, media and fame. So working on those books will always be a high point of my life. And yes, I got more into mythology. And it must be said, Elisa, since we are chatting, one of the reasons why it was quite intimidating to work on the Sam M was because of your letters column, your letters pages. Your responses to the letter column were legendary and not just to me. I'm going to read an excerpt now because I was digging up my old periodicals, my single issues, and everybody who read The Sandman, loved Elisa. And I'm not just oh. saying that because I really do hope she can lend me some money. Listen, <laughs> listen. I, you know, and I don't have, I don't know in one of my moves, I lost all my floppies. I haven't seen one of the letter columns. I thank you for saying this, but I haven't even seen one in, you know, 15 years. As long as you have more. some extra cash saved, I'm good to lend you my copies. But 
What I want to what I want to quote is a letter writer said, and this is honestly legit because I can't make this stuff up. As much as I love the talents of Mr. Gaiman and company, this is the only comic I know where the letter section is just as enjoyable. It feels like a literary cognac after a satisfying meal. And listeners, that is all because of Elisa Quitney. And here's where I made such a choice move. I was scared that I couldn't follow such a great letter column writer that Mm -hmm. I convinced Elisa to stay on. I'm sure I said something like, Elisa, you don't want to leave the Sam, man. You've been on this book for so many years. Why don't you just remain as the letter column writer? You respond to the letters. The fans love you. And that way you could still remain a part of the book. And you fell for it. (laughs) Well, you know, the thing is, we that I thank you so much for that. That is just the, the loveliest thing to say. But I think that as we went on in our careers, we began to collaborate because, um, you know, I think I came from more of a writing background and you had an art background that I, I really lacked. Um, although, can, can we just take a moment that when we shared an office for all, first I shared an office with Tom Pyre and we were the two smokers. Then for a while, you and I shared an office and um, I drove you a little bonkers. Uh, and and back at you, I am sure I drove you nuts. I I think I was Oscar Madison, and I think Oscar Madison drives Felix Unger nuts. Well, I think that's the way it goes. No, you know what? We were quite a pair. And in fact, I remember Karen once saying that together we made the perfect editor because you, you remember that? Oh, yeah. Well, this was can I just I'll, I'll I'll tell the story the way I remember it and you can correct me. But I remember that, you know, uh, we here we were in a in a in a 90s Melrose Place kind of paradigm. People would think that we would be rivals um, and and we were not rivals, even though people compared us a lot because as I said, it was a little Oscar Madison, Felix Unger. I was the messy one. And and um, I was big picture and loud. And you were very precise, well, and very visual. You are you are giving so, me too many props because I was organized yeah, chaos. But continue. Well, so I, I just remember at one point thinking, oh, my gosh, we should collaborate. We should start editing together. And what what was the thing that we the first thing we edited together? Was it? Well, was it the death? No, it wasn't. Yes, what was it? it was. It was um, the girl who would be death. However, we did. Was that Caitlin? Caitlin Kiernan? It was. It was Caitlin R. Kiernan and Dean Ormston. But we did threaten to do a horror anthology together. OK, wait, but wait, wait, before you say that. So we, we did this project together and I was focused more on the early stages of story development and you were taking it through. Um, you know, and, and really making sure that art directing yeah. and and making sure everything came together. And uh, we felt pretty good about it. And then Karen calls us in for a meeting. And I think there's this little bit of, you know, hey, is, is this OK? We thought this came out well. And Karen said, this came out so well. I think you guys should do everything together from now on. And at the same, just in a perfect yep. comic moment, Shelly and I looked at each other like, ah, uh, it was <laughs> everything. Yes. Yes. I mean, it, it, it was good and bad because as you pointed out to me recently, Elisa, when Karen called you into your office, all bets were off. 
you were either going to get fired or get promoted or you were going to get the day off. And honestly, I didn't care. Any of those could have happened. It would make me so nervous. Right. I I, I always thought it was just me because um, whenever as a child or teenager, someone said come into my office, it was because I was in trouble. And uh, no one had ever said those words followed by something casual, like let's discuss the coming month's schedule. Or lunch. Or lunch. Oh, yes. Or lunch. And still there's an entire section of my brain devoted to which restaurants Karen likes yes. in the uh, Midtown area. If you're enjoying Endless, a Sandman podcast, then you should know that it is only through our Patreon supporters that we are able to produce this content for you. So we'd like to take this moment to thank everyone who supports us at patreon.com slash chipperish. This episode of Endless was brought to you by the chipperish patrons who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. Thank you to our power producers, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jane, Kevin, Kristen, Michael, Rose, Sarah, Shelley, Stephania and Stephanie. All Chipperish supporters get access to the Chipperish Discord chat where you can pop in, meet other Sandman fans, and chat with the Chipperish creators. And at $10 a month and up, you can even attend live tapings for some of our shows. Thank you to our intrepid editor, Jack Cram, whose time and skill is paid for through your support. If you'd like to support Endless and Chipperish Media, please visit patreon.com slash chipperish and support us today. Elisa, I have to laugh because... As you're chatting, I I I just want to quickly mention that I've been working on a book called Fast Times and Comic Book Editing. So many of the things you just touched upon, you know, the bad hair day that I'm, I want you to share with the listeners, but just working with Karen, you know, and she was a tough boss at times, but not as tough as everyone thought. You know, I think she had a very cool exterior, but I think you and I both knew her uh differently because we did, you know, we were working in tandem with her and we were her assistants for many years. And so uh, a few of my short comics are about those moments. And my favorite of the comics that I did, and I've done quite a few in this book, definitely feature you, you know, the one called um, A Tale of uh, One Bad Haircut and A Tale of Two Assistant Editors and One horrible office mate that's the one share the story you must because it was it was it was during a time when we were sharing an office and we were going to throttle each other this is my memory i was in the back and i was still i i was like a golden retriever puppy it took me a really long time to fully mature so even though i i looked like an adult i was somewhat oblivious so i don't think I don't think that you, uh, you know, perhaps graded on me, although you did occasionally flick the lower part of your hair while talking. And I would obsess about it because you would you would flick your hair. I, I, however, think I drove you more nuts because I my style of editing was to talk a lot about story with the writers. So there was a lot of discussing story and what story meant and and with artists I think I spent a lot of time saying it's okay don't be nervous just walk me around the room and tell me what you're looking at and um, well yeah let's not forget that not only did you chat a lot like that which is really informative if you're just listening but I was sitting in front of you and I was on the phone trying to listen to a writer uh, explain something else to me and because you were in the back of the office 
and you would emote. I mean, you, I thought you must have been a thespian in a former life because you had a way, uh, your voice would carry and the words would hit the wall and then hit me in the face. And that's exactly what is drawn in the comic that I share with everyone about you. And it must be said, we really weren't rivals. I mean, I think we both really adored each other as people. And we spent some time outside of the office together. Went dancing? Do you remember we went dancing when I was about seven months pregnant with with my son, Matthew? We went to a club and I... I Webster Hall. And I remember some guy saying to me, don't ever get married. And I I thought, does (laughs) does he notice how pregnant I am? Um, Okay, so wait, just taking this back to the Sandman for a moment. And I I also... Wait, I'm going to take two steps back. So can you just mention, besides Sandman and Sandman-related projects, can you mention some of the amazing comics projects that you have been involved with? For example, Shade the Changing Man with Peter Milligan and Chris Pachalo. I have great memories of working on Shade. And I say this on every podcast, but this is so true. Epic moment for me as a young editor as someone who came from a film background, who wanted nothing more than to bring more grand widescreen visuals to the page, was watching Chris Pacello's evolution as an artist from shade number one to shade number 50. That was a masterclass. And talking to him was amazing. We had similar taste in music and he was just such a cool person. So that was the highlight of working on shade. Even though if you talk to Peter Milligan, he'll probably tell you that I enjoyed working on his scripts as he would. But truth be told, it was that artistic evolution. And I say to people today, I I taught an editing comics and self-publishing class in June. And I told my students, if you want to draw comics, pick one part of the job, either focus on penciling or focus on inking and really master that part of the craft and get on a monthly book because you need that deadline. You need an editor on the back saying, finish the page. It's a page a day because without that, you don't learn how to let go and you don't know when to stop putting the extra details in the background. So I like mentioning that as something for people to think about. That is such incredibly good advice. I, you know, I was, let me just also get the name of the book because I think there are a lot of people, I mean, your book is about comic book editing, but it's filled with advice for people who would like to write comics uh, or, or draw comics as well. Well, Filth and Grammar, the comic book editor secret handbook was the comic that I kickstarted last year that I printed and sent off to my amazing backers. There were 2,543 backers who helped me bring that book to life with a cast of amazing artists, including pro tips from people you know, like Neil Gaiman and Chris Pacello and Bill Willingham and Jill Thompson. Bill Bill Willingham, who wrote Fables, we should just mention for people who don't know, Fables was another uh, series that that you edited that and you you brought it all together, Fables, right? I did. I did. That was probably the the big moment for me at DC Comics, where I think people started to take me seriously. 
Because let's face it, you know, when you meet the boss and you're 21 years old and you look like a goth girl with silver lipstick and, you know, a, a faux eye of Horus on your eye, you know, which is how I met Paul Levitz. I was working at Kamiko. Um, I don't think I was ever looked upon in a different light throughout my career. But when I brought Fables in, I think that's when things changed. Um, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm dancing all over your questions, Elisa. But No, like, I think the, you're answering the, them beautifully. The, the books that I edited at Vertigo that I'm most proud of are the ones that actually came together because of my relationships with the writers. Um, I look at books like Scene of the Crime, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, and Michael Lark. And that book happened because Ed Brubaker was an indie writer who Lou Stathis brought in. And he was the he he did a version of Prez for Vertigo, which was incredibly right. cool. Yes. And after Lou passed away, I did not want Lou's dreams of certain writers becoming household names to just fade away. Because that happens sometimes. Editors are champions. And I do discuss that in my book, by the way. So filth and grammar, just for people who are are jumping around with me. Filth and Grammar is 80% how to make comics, and it's from an editor's point of view, so it's unprecedented. There are so few books about making comics, period, especially in recent times, but there are zero about making comics from an editor's point of view until now. So I did the one that I wish you and I had mm. when we were coming up in comics in the 90s. It's a handbook, so it covers 10 chapters from idea to execution, and in between are sequential interludes. Uh, I call them a day in the life of an editorial ingenue. And they're illustrated by Imogen Mangle, who is a young powerhouse who's going to take over comics sooner than you think. So and just you to have, get this off my Yeah, I just want to say you've got such a great eye for artists when uh, we did, uh, you had a Minx, which is a YA line of comics that was uh, ahead of its time and unfortunately didn't last as long as it should have. And I wrote a book uh, token for you and you picked this young artist, uh, yep. Joelle Jones, who's gone to become a major. She's with Marvel now, right? I'm not sure. I know she did quite a bit for DC for years. Yeah. So, but yeah, but she, I met her at San, San Diego Comic-Con and she was just a terrific artist, and I couldn't wait to get my hands on her. And when you pitched me Token, it just, she was just, there was no other artist for the book. And I will say, as much as I enjoyed working with you as a co-editor, I think most of all, I enjoyed working with you for, as writer-editor, because I think it's where we, will, we were able to give and take and learn from each other. In fact, absolutely, that was the best experience. Absolutely, and I'm hoping we'll do that again. Um, Definitely. Hey, the, the, the yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that just just to finish up the thread about um, the book. So, Filth and Grammar is available in October. It was a Kickstarter, so I have limited copies available on my website. My husband and I run a comics and design lab called Off Register Press. And your husband is an amazing artist, Philip Bond. He is the greatest artist. I, I married my favorite comic book artist, who is now my favorite husband and human as well. I remember when you first kind of fooled around with him. 
I still remember. You do. I totally I do. You told about me about that. it. You had come back from I England did. and you I, said, Alisa, I just fooled around with this guy and he's really great. And it was just, he was just, yeah. So I remember that. <laughs> well, I will, I will tell you, it was, we had been friends for years and, you know, he lives in England. I live in the States, but he wasn't exactly a regular monthly artist type. He was the guy who would take on the work to get the paycheck to go to the pub. So he helped out on some fill-in issues on Shade, or he'd do a few mini series. But it was only when Grant Morrison insisted that Philip do a substantial part of The Invisibles Volume 3, that's when Karen pretty much said, okay, no fooling around. You have to get Philip on to deliver. <laughs> no fooling around. I was like, I wasn't fooling around with him at that point. At that point, I was like, how am I going to get this guy to wake up in the morning? He's like a slacker okay. artist. Okay, wait a second, Shelly. Is this no, in your book? Is there. this is this part of your editing technique? Because oh, as far oh, as I know, this is the it. only artist you use this technique on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I don't want to get that reputation that like people. No, I'm presume. totally joking. Guys, oh, sorry. This is inappropriate. No, joking. no. It, it, the truth of the matter is that it started with mixtapes and double stuff Oreos because Philip also loved music. And at the time, we thought for sure we probably had the exact same record collections. And so it, talking about music was great because I think the greatest thing for me about the 90s was Britpop just came in and just like took over all four of my heart chambers. And so many of the guys I was working with were into the same band. So when I would go over to conventions, I would also go see live shows. And it was a great way to kind of, you know, make these other connections with people we worked with. Of course, I love comics, but it's always my love of music and comics. That's what drives me now. And that's actually what Off Register Press is all about, because my husband, the fabulous Philip Bond, just released his new book called Geezer, which is a seven inch black and white, 40 page comic book about the greatest band, Britpop band, that never was. Or maybe it was, but they weren't famous, so we don't remember them. Oh, that's so sounds- he did. That sounds really fun. I edited that book. It's written by Will Potter, who is the bassist of the Cud Band, which is definitely one for your listeners to look up. And he's an incredible writer and an artist as well. But Philip and Will just killed it on Geezer. And so one of the things I just want to finish um, explaining so it's clear, Philip and I do a lot of crowdfunding projects and we have a store, a web store on offregister.press. So there's a lot, a lot of our work there if you're interested in comics and all of our comics are definitely influenced by our love for music. And when I left Vertigo, that's what I did next. I spearheaded an imprint that I pitched to IDW called Black Crown and I did it with a uh, Chris Ryle, who is a wonderful editor in his own right, he pretty much wrote me a note on my last day at Vertigo and said he he wanted to work with me. He grew up reading my Vertigo books. And so for two and a half years, we actually created what I think are some of the best books I've put my name on through Black Crown, including Kid Lobotomy, drawn by Tess Fowler and written by one of your favorite writers, Peter Milligan, who may or may not be my favorite writer. I will never tell and many, many other talents, people who, who you've probably know now, um, Martin Simmons, 
who is cleaning up Eisner's on the Department of Truth. He's a brilliant artist. He did a book for me called Punk's Not Dead for Black Crown. He's now working with James Tynan. So my favorite thing in comics is to unite people from disparate places. So bring maybe an old timer like a Milligan and unite them with a new up and coming artist or vice versa. And you are a writer. And you are so good at that. I mean, I think you've oh. gotten amazing. So I have one last question for you, uh, which is as you are watching the Sandman TV series right now, and you know, we we are this uh this week. Uh, Lonnie and I are going to be talking about a hope in hell. I wanted to ask what aesthetic or influence from the artists who worked on the original comics you can see coming through in terms of set and costume and aesthetic. Well, I must just say that I am mega impressed with how Neil and Alan Heinberg and company translated such a sweeping epic that is the Sandman to TV. And I say that not in shock because if Neil was a key player, I knew it was going to be good, but it's great. And I think what makes it great is that those opening storylines were so different, both thematically and artistically. And I think what they did, they managed to cherry pick some of the best moments of all of them. And I think that the art had a lot to do with it. And I think that that helped make it seamless. Mm. Um, I think Sean McManus's art is very uh, clear in a lot of the episodes to me. Mm. I actually also, I, I know that we both worked on Lucifer. And I have to say that I see quite a bit of Peter Gross's Lucifer in and the Lucifer character in the TV show. I don't know about you, but there was this wonderful austere smirk that they have that I, I used to always love in, in um, Peter Gross's Lucifer. So I see a lot translating. I see quite a bit of J.H. Williams from Salmon Overture. And of course, Mark Hempel, the very stylized desire that I think both Jill Thompson and Mark Hempel they rival each other. They both do, I think, classic desire. And you raise such an interesting point that they, in terms of the aesthetic, they're not just taking from Sam Keith and Dringenberg and uh, Kelly Jones and, and the artists who worked on those first storylines, that they may well be, you know, taking influences from artists who worked on later uh, storylines yes. because characters come back. That's that's actually a really and cool point. I also think it was very clever what they did with Hob Gadling. And that could be my favorite moment was how both Hob and Morpheus and Morpheus was perfect, by the way. Look, I'm a Bauhaus fan. So I always knew that Peter Murphy was like the poster child for Dream. So I don't know if anyone was going to like change my mind, right? But I got to say, Tom Sturgis blew me away. He was fantastic. Yes. And yes, I think the casting of Rose Walker, too, was just on point. Loved it. So many great moments. I I could not agree more. Well, Shelly, I am so excited, so happy that you were able to join us. I hope you will 
um, you know, be able to come back. I know that uh, we will, Lonnie and I are going to go back to the comics after uh, after we've finished talking about the TV series. And uh, maybe we can get you back on to talk. That'd be fun. Yeah, to, to talk about some of the storylines that you worked on. I would love it. And thank you guys so much for your time today. It's been amazing to catch up with you. And um, hopefully we'll get to like uh, connect again on paper, Elisa. Who knows? I would absolutely adore that. And uh, thank you for calling me Cognac. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just quoting someone else. But yes, of course. Be well. Oh, thank you, weak sister. Um, I I hope that we will be writing, working together, and dancing with wigs one of these days. I'm sure we will. We hope you enjoyed this bonus chat with Shelly, and you should definitely go check out what she's up to at offregister.press. Elisa and I will be back in this feed on Friday with our response to Netflix's The Sandman Season 1, Episode 4, A Hope in Hell. See you then! <laughs>